0: You are tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network on jmandtheam.org and nachumsegel.com. Stay tuned for JM Sunday with Matis Weingast.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to JM Sunday, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Shana Tova to everybody. I'm your host Matis Winegas. Today is the 20th of September, 2015, and in the new year of 5776, it's the 7th of Tishrei. Welcome back, everybody. Great to have you here and to be here in this new year. And I hope you all had a uh, good Yom Tov so far, and uh, a good Shabbos and a good week. We look forward this week to Yom Kippur and next week to uh, Sukkot. We'll be here with you every Sunday in between all of that and uh, for many months to come, of course, throughout the year. Thanks again for joining us. It is the 29th of in Nazir, if you're following Dafyomi. Yomi. And uh, in the north New Jersey, New York area, the temperature is going to be, uh, and the weather is going to be nice outside today. uh Sukkot building time, if you're starting that a little early, it is... Um, Right now, 70 degrees and a bit cloudy outside, but it's going to be clearing up and going up to a high of 77 today, then dipping down to 55 degrees, mostly cloudy tonight. In Jerusalem, it's 92 degrees outside right now, pretty clear, going down to a clear 67 degrees. 7.06 in the morning here on JM Sunday. Uh, it is... Um, it is going to be uh, a a great show as always, I hope. We're going to be playing a lot of Yisrael Wilger and uh, Yom Tov, uh selections. We're going to play some others. Uh, and then in the 8 o'clock hour, my guest will be uh, David Lieberman. Dr. David Lieberman is a uh, prolific author and uh, noted lecturer. His uh, latest uh, work is called How Free Will Works, The Blueprints to Take Charge of Your Life, Health, and Happiness. And uh, we'll be talking to him about um, about that concept of free will and uh, how to go into Yom Kippur with a mindset that will help us all. So that's going to come up in the 8 o'clock hour. Until then, great Jewish music. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to have Rabbi Goldwasser today. Uh, we might give him uh, the uh, day off. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to the news from Israel at 8 o'clock. So we're going to go to the music number of Yisrael Williger selections here on JM Sunday. Thanks for joining us. If you uh, want to send me a message or request a song, you can go to our Facebook page, JM Sunday, and like that page, please, why don't you? Uh, and while you're there, you can like Mayor Weingarten's The Israel Show page also. But to like our page on Facebook, send us a message. You can also send me an email at matis at M-A-T-T-E-S at NachamSiegel.com Thanks for joining us, everyone. Here's Yashol Williger on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network.
2: she yoyr bna hi <laughs> Oh, Shamey love She made the Ah, yo, 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 shmay
3: bihaamoo
2: tera khayal khaya Vocês. Mogem nabra I'm not
1: It is 7.30 in the morning Eastern Time here on JM Sunday. Matus Wine guest with you on this 20th day in the month of September, 7th day in the month of Tishri. We will, in fact, get to Rabbi Goldwasser in just a a moment with a very uh, apropos topic for this morning, Tshuva, in the Sershemi Tshuva that we are in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. My thanks to everyone joining us on this new year in the Jewish calendar it is uh, nice outside today it's going to be even nicer 77 degrees um, partly you know sunny <laughs> as opposed to somewhat cloudy um, and going down to a low 55 degrees tonight in Jerusalem right now it's 92 degrees and uh, clear going down to 67 degrees my uh, guest coming up in the eight o'clock hour will be a noted author and lecturer David Lieberman dr. David Lieberman uh, speaks on uh Many different topics. He's a psychologist. He's written many books, and uh, we'll be talking about the one he just came out with, uh, "How Free Will Works." We'll talk about that. I think it's very timely for the uh, this this time of year. So uh, we'll do that. If you uh, want to send any messages to us, if you have any questions, maybe you want to you want me to ask Dr. Lieberman, you can post them on Facebook. Go to a uh, Jam Sunday page over on Facebook, and you can post something over there. We'll be glad to uh to try to get the question in. And uh, you can always like that page. That would be great also. Appreciate that. Well, uh let's see. Yep, let's get to Rabbi Goldwasser at this time each and every uh, Sunday through Thursday. We present to you Rabbi Goldwasser, Rabbi Goldwasser's words, Lizekanishmasser of Zev Burb Yosef Alevi and Esther Rabbi Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with morning
0: Chizuk. Good morning. Rabenu Yonah cites a story in Rabba. It relates to Yochum Ishturus, the son of the sister of Yose ben Yoazir. His uncle, Yose ben Yoazir, was being brought out to be hung. It was on Shabbos. The custom of the Romans was that when they took someone out to be hanged, he was forced to carry the cross to the town square. There he was to be hung. First, they would make him carry it around the town for a few hours, and then they brought him to the square. If he was too old or too weak to carry it, they would coerce other people to carry it in front of him. This is what they were doing to Yosef ben Yo-Ezer. He was carrying this in front of him. Just then, Yachim rode up on a beautiful horse, and he mocked his uncle. See what a beautiful horse Hashem has given me. His uncle answered, If this is what Hashem gives to those that transgress His will, then how much more so will He give to those who fulfill His will? Joachim answered derisively, Look at your horse. In a short while, they're going to hang you on it. His uncle answered him, You see, if this is what happens to those that fulfill His will, then what's going to happen to those who transgress His will? I'm being punished for a slight infraction, like opening my eyes for an instant or having a trace of an improper thought. But what's going to be your end? The Medr says at that moment, Rabbi Yosef ben words penetrated his nephew's heart. The words that go out from the heart enter into one's heart. We see therefore that even though he was mocking his uncle, it was the most crucial extreme state possible. He was on the verge of death. Yet look at the impact of his words. Yokum immediately did tshuva. He inflicted the four types of capital punishment upon himself. Finally, he fell to his death. He did tshuva shalema, complete repentance. In the meantime, Rabbi Yosef ben went into a light trance. He saw the bed of his nephew being carried up to heaven to Gan Eden, even ahead of his. Rabbi Yosef ben Yo'ezer said, "Yakum of Tsurras has beat me to Gan Eden by an hour. He is about to receive eternal reward. The great Rabbi Chaim Shmuel comments, we see from this the importance of even a moment of tshuva. One moment of proper repentance can repent for an entire lifetime. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chiswick. Have
2: a nice day. <laughs> The ship jis ma waxte mahase kho vi ay meruhle kho hoise kho besadake kho wa tugda shoj boe ahal ki makti she میک دو شاس خواه که داشته این آوال کدویش بیهید میک دویشی محایی دیس کردن و عوصه یسوی ای نینو یو با بین ها نکن یه شبیس نینو U ves imlet Yo it's a good thing to be able to do it. It's a khoyl maminim shehu mona abei khin o voidek kin dei nistaroy maminim shehu boy khitlayach toyein mi mowe so phoy de misakhas maminim shehu khazo adonye khin koi maminim choh dayane me hoob biye ya shere ya de kho hain maminim choh aya nabie we trust that He will build a of não há na my la khanu of ko We are the ones who are Babu the I'm not I'm i not I'm I give you و با کویت Ma'alechovah, oh, Yehovah, 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 I ras khawa I know the of the shadow of my name. That I told you the to be Foneco, Kayle, and Beni so Arashasifose, no, Yedam, the Foneco, Kayle, and Beni so May be no man's in my habit to Maxi coil the key of the cave bed up from hey ye 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 ma
4: Melech, 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 oi zero mai oi zero oi zero O My she out, Melaphys, who my she my oy, my oy, my my oy, Oy, malach melech Melek Melek Melek, zero O My O My Shiva, O zero King. oi zero Melek, O Israel, O My zero O My O My O Israel, O Oi, o Umagen, Melech Zer Umayshia Umagen, Oy Melech 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 o Melech 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 o Melech Melakhazer o Melech o
1: Shema Boys Choir here on uh, J.M. Sunday. Mataswan guest with you. That was Melech. Before that, Yehuda with Shmackolenu and various selections from Yisrael Williger. The Yomim Noraim that uh, we uh, started last week with Rosh Hashanah. We are in the middle of uh, the uh, Sarasme Chuva, ten days of repentance, and will culminate with Yom Kippur this coming Tuesday night. So, in advance, we wish everybody a good Yom Tov and a, an easy fast. It is eight o'clock in the morning. We get we're going to get to our news from Israel in just a few seconds. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, my guest in the eight o'clock hour after the news will be Rabbi David, Dr. David Lieberman. He is a prolific author and lecturer in the field of psychology, and uh, he just published a book called How Free Will Works. We're going to talk about that with him, and uh, figured it was appropriate for the upcoming Yom Kippur holiday to talk about free will in uh, the sense of how we uh, look at the uh, our different actions in the course of the year and we're looking for repentance and how to change ourselves and improve ourselves, I figured it would be something timely to discuss. So we'll be doing that at about 8.15 this morning. Right now it's time for our news from Israel. Hana Julian, Middle East news analyst and senior correspondent at jewishpress.com, joins us every Sunday morning to bring us up to date on the latest happenings in the state of Israel. Good morning and shana tova, Hannah Julian.
5: Good morning, Marcus, and shana tova to you. Uh, there's a lot going on, actually. Let me begin with some of the things that have been going on in Jerusalem. A Muslim woman was arrested this morning after she attacked a police officer and tried to attack a Jewish bystander in the old city of Jerusalem. Police were also forced to push back a mob of other Muslim women who were screaming and causing a disturbance in the area. The unrest continued with the arrest of a 17-year-old Jewish teen as well. Police said the boy was violating the visitation rules at the Temple Mount, but no further details were released. Five Israeli Arab Knesset members, all of the members of the joint Arab list, traveled to Amman today to meet with Jordan's king, Abdullah II. The king told them uh, plainly that the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the Temple Mount is a place for Muslim prayer with no divisions and no partnerships. The lawmakers told Israel Radio earlier in the day before they traveled that they were going to discuss what they called the change in the status quo at the mosque on the Temple Mount. Disturbances at the site have continued for more than a week with Arab violence forcing Israeli police to personally escort every Jewish visitor to the site in order to ensure their safety. A number of police officers have been physically injured as a result of the violent riots there. Palestinian Arabs have been barricading themselves in the mosque where they've been stockpiling rocks, bottles, firecrackers, pipe bombs, martell cocktails. They've been using these things as weapons to throw at police and visitors to the Temple Mount compound, uh, as with other Islamic religious sites. The al Mosque has been under the legal of the Hashemite Kingdom since Jordan signed the peace treaty with Israel in 1994. Jews are not allowed to pray on this site, although they are allowed to visit the area of the compound. Uh, only Muslims can enter the mosque. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu reiterated last week that he has no intention whatsoever of changing that status quo. However, today he pointed out that bringing explosive materials and other weapons into the al aqsa Mosque, is a change to that status quo. An IDF commander sustained a leg injury today while dealing with a mob of 60 mass Palestinian Arab terrorists. They were hurling stones on the roads on the outskirts of the Jerusalem neighborhood of kar The attack took place near the checkpoint leading to the buxet Jewish community of Tekoa. An Israeli vehicle was also damaged in the attack, according to the IBS spokesperson. IBS soldiers used non lethal means to break up the mob. The military wing of Gaza's ruling Hamas terror organization says it's captured an Israeli drone. According to Iran's press TV, an Israeli Skylark 1 crashed in northern Gaza on Saturday. If that's true, this would be the second time that an Israeli UAV has landed in Gaza. This past July, Hamas picked up an Israeli drone, more or less in the same area. Hamas claims that operatives have been able to dissemble and then reconstruct that drone. There has been no comment from the Israeli military. Last night at about 10.30 p.m., southern Israelis were again forced to make a run for the bomb shelters when the code read, Incoming rocket alert was triggered. Residents in at least four communities near the Gaza border were affected. The rocket apparently misfired and never made it past the security fence. Instead, it landed within the enclave, but that did not prevent parents from having to awaken their children and then yank them out of bed and drag them to safe spaces just in case the rocket was headed their way. About 80% southern Israel are now showing significant signs of trauma and moderate to severe anxiety due to the past decade's endless rocket and mortar attacks from Gaza, according to recent studies. The body of a missing Israeli husband and father of three was found yesterday in a lake in Oman. The late Amir Shlomo Ohana had gone to Oman to pray at the graveside of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov along with 40,000 other men 30,000 of which were from Israel. He apparently fell into the lake while sitting on a pier over Rosh Hashanah. According to the Zaka organization, which helped with the search, Ohana was suffering from epilepsy. The foreign ministry is working to bring his body home to Israel for interment. His wife has been notified. Israelis are crowding the markets and stores all over the country now to choose their four species, this year, because of the Shemitah law, special care is being taken over which a drug in the purchase and how they're being sold. The chief robinette is inspecting and merchants are being careful to advertise their attention to halacha. The market for secondhand sukkahs is nearly as brisk as it is for those that are new. And so far, we have perfect weather, perfect. Perfect weather for it, Matthias, and that <laughs> is in spite of the incredible, unbelievable thunder and lightning storm that came absolutely 10 minutes after Rosh Hashanah was out in the south last week. Wow. Incredible, unbelievable. And there were floods up north. Right now, it's 90 degrees in Tel Aviv with 52% humidity, 92 degrees in Jerusalem with only 27% humidity, you get the picture. Wow. You know where to be. No no sand No
1: no sandstorms in the uh, often No no no,
5: they're gone, gone, gone. gone. Wow. We know which we know which holiday is the best holiday and where to be for it. <laughs> we do.
1: That is correct.
5: Temperatures are dry. <laughs> Temperatures are dropping tonight into the high 60s in most places around the country. It, it really is beautiful. Not it's gorgeous. It really is. You're the wrong place, man. You really
1: are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, you, you continue to enjoy that weather at the start of the new year, and uh, we wish you uh, and your family again a Shana Tovah uh, and uh, an easy fast this week and a good Yom Tov.
5: And to you as well. It's the same story, by the way, for the rest of the week. The weather is going to be gorgeous, wow. except for tomorrow. We're going to see some guys tomorrow. And there may be showers along the coastline. Again, in Tel Aviv, I tell you, Tel Aviv, forget it. Tel Aviv, no way. But the sun will be out the rest of the week. I'll put Yom Kippur, by the way, around 90 on Yom Kippur. Or your sunscreen and put it on before the fast, and then put enough on so that it lasts. Have an easy task, everyone. May you all be written into the book of life. Gemara Hashim Have a great week and a sparkling new year. I'm Hannah Julian for J.M. Sunday.
1: Thank you so much, Hannah Julian. It's 8.09 in the morning Eastern Time here on the Nachum Siegel Network. J.M. Sunday, Matt, the swine guest with you. And we'll go to some music coming up uh, in a few minutes. We'll be joined by uh, Dr. David Lieberman. He's a prolific author and uh And lecturer will talk about free will. It's uh, in his new book, free the uh, how free will works. The blueprints to take charge of your life, health, and happiness. And uh, I think it's very timely for this uh Shemay Tshuva season and upcoming uh, Yom Kippur holiday. So that will be uh, coming up shortly. Right now, we're going to go to some new music by Simcha Liner here on JM Sunday.
6: Shamoyatish move tennis In Oh, no.
1: It is music by uh, Shimmy Engel here on J.M. Sunday. Mattis, Weingest guest with you. It is 8.17 in the morning here on a Sunday morning, of course. That's why we call it J.M. Sunday. Wouldn't that uh, make perfect sense? Of course, it's the 20th of September, 2015. And in the brand-new Jewish year, 5776, we're at the 7th of Tishrei. If you're studying Daf Yomi, it's a Nazir, Daf 29. Beautiful day outside expected today. Temperature-wise, 77 degrees, uh, partly cloudy, which means partly sunny. Let's look at it positively. Going tonight uh, down to a low of 55 degrees, mostly cloudy. As kind of Julian just told us in the news from Israel, it's a 92 degrees out there today, unbelievable, and the 23% humidity, which is uh, a great uh, a great combination of numbers for uh, for the day. At this time it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the airwaves a uh, a very uh, noted author and uh, lecturer his name is Dr David Lieberman and uh, his new book is How Free Will Works The Blueprints to Take Charge of Your Life Health and Happiness Dr Lieberman welcome to JM Sunday
7: Thanks, Mark. It's great to be
1: with you. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're very busy these days. Uh, I felt that it was a great time to discuss this book. It just came out not too long ago. It's published by Feldheim, distributed by Feldheim. And uh, I figured in this period of time, and coming up to Yom Kippur, the idea and the concept of free will might be something that we could discuss and people could read about when they get your book, and I encourage them to get your book. Because when we're looking to Yom Kippur to uh, to look to a time of atonement and to be forgiven for the sins we've done and, and change our actions, it's very important, wouldn't you say, to uh, understand what free will is and, and what its definition is, if you will. So let's get right into it. Let me ask you, what is the definition of free will?
7: That's a beautiful, good foundational question. So free will, or in Hebrew, is the ability to choose right over wrong, good over evil. It is the the God given capacity for us to shape not only the quality of our lives here, but also in the next world. And I think one of the reasons why the book has gotten so much attention is because it while it focuses on, you know, the philosophical and aristocratic questions in terms of the dynamics of free will and divine providence and the process and model and how they all integrate it also walks the reader through very methodically very clearly how the quality of our lives today affect our emotional spiritual and physical health right here right now and by making better choices regardless of the conditions or circumstances we find ourselves in a much greater place to have a higher sense of the and a greater sense of amuna and still a Great degree of emotional health, which obviously is so pivotal,
1: now uh, you mentioned something extremely important, which I think most people might might gloss over and not really realize. We talk about the term free you know free usually means it 's freedom in this particular case the, the freedom okay. to do anything. But in a way, isn't it self-limiting? Meaning, like you said, you have to have choices in order to have free will because it's a free will to choose, like you said, one thing or another. It's a, a misnomer when people think that, um, in our case, let's say, doing mitzvot or having a Torah with rules or any societal part that has rules is limiting and is not freedom. On the contrary, it, that's what gives us freedom.
7: That's exactly right. And if you look at the rest of the world definition of freedom, is being able to do whatever you feel like doing. The Torah definition of freedom is being able to do what you want to do, to rise above your nature, what you feel like doing, what looks good, feels good, and instead choose to do what is good and what is right. And that ultimately, by the way, is how we gain a sense of self-esteem. But you're right. If the ability to choose between good versus evil is exactly the mechanism that allows for free will to be activated, because if we were simply left to our own devices, we wouldn't really have free will in the truest sense, and ultimately we wouldn't get the greatest pleasure, which is to be like God.
1: Right, of course. Now, again, in our case with the Torah, mitzvot guide us in in some way, you know, whatever mitzvot we're doing, whatever uh, uh, category they're in, they give us a guide through life. Uh, And again, we're looking... Here in this discussion, at least to get towards Yom Kippur and an idea of how people can think as they uh, as they are sitting in shul on Yom Kippur and thinking about their lives, etc., and, and what to do. So mitzvahs give us uh, the uh, the fundamentals, the things that that we do. Would it be fair to say, though, that um, if we uh, if we do the mitzvahs, it's almost like um, I don't know if this is the. You're going to probably tell me I'm wrong, but let me throw this at you because it's my my thinking here. Uh, if we do the mitzvot, then we're we're not losing some of our free will, but free will doesn't necessarily come into it. Would it be proper to say? I guess I'm asking that not doing the mitzvot is what is where free will comes in, not the doing of them. Does that make sense at all? Well, so you're right. I I, I do
7: disagree. <laughs> um, So I I, I think what you're you're raising a good point, but it is because we have a commandment that means that we could choose to do it or not do it. Now there are natural consequences which our society all too frequently tries to mask. You know whether it's you know uh, taking an aspirin because we overindulged uh, or taking um, you know any type of means or mechanism to divert our attention from what is right and important. You know, it's it, I, I think it's perfectly legitimate to say that, you know, free will exists when we when we have that choice before us. Now it has to be a legitimate choice. I don't have a choice to fly or to not fly without an airplane. That's not a choice. And a, a real genuine choice requires you asking before what the here is. There's a lot of intricacies that go into it. You need to have a moral component. In other words, if it's simply a choice between you know, a guy getting out of bed in the morning to go rob a bank or to hit the snooze <laughs> bar and go back to bed, that while there are moral consequences, it's not really what we call a free will choice because there's no moral component to it. A moral component means, is there something in here that's right or it's wrong? And while we all have our we referred to as a spiritual level, there are, as Red explains, explained, a certain sort of band of behaviors that hover around that line. And that's really where free will exists my ability where I could equally choose to do something or not do something, and that's the home of
1: the hero. You mentioned, Rabbi Dessler, and the levels right now, and uh, let, let's tie in something else then here. Uh, you're a psychologist, uh, by, by trade, if you will, and I know you've written profusely in the area of psychology, and there's one particular book I have to get, or it's a pamphlet. Well, I'll look at it another time, we'll talk about it. What is the one about weight loss? It's, it, 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 oh. And uh, lo- losing weight without discipline or willpower! <laughs> That's a yeah, great can't one. can't that one, too. right. Right. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to this, you're writing in a, and we are in a, uh, um, a, a society, our Jewish society, if you will where we believe it's not just the the body and the mind, but there's the soul. Um, how does this freedom uh, register, I know you talk about it in, in the book in many different places, of where does the component come in of the soul, the body, the mind, compared to the classic psychological terms, I guess, of, of ego, id, superego, and those type of uh, concepts?
7: Right, terrific. And to tie it into the concept of chuva is that if you look at the three forces—the you know, the body, of the goof, the ego, the yitzhahar, and the soul and the shama—they all sort of battle it out. And you know, one of the most difficult things for the ego to do is to admit that it's wrong, is to acknowledge it makes a mistake. The job of the ego, by the way, is a projection machine. It's like an image of how we want the rest of the world to see us. And the more energy we spend on this image, the more draining it is ultimately for us. And the wider, wider the chasm between who I am and this image that I try so desperately to project the more draining it is. So when we apologize to somebody, you give forgiveness, you give an apology, you move from a taker to a giver in the quintessential way, which is why we generally feel so much lighter afterwards and why it's integral really, as the research shows as Hazal told us, to our emotional health, to be able to let these types of things go. And when a person acknowledges that they made a mistake and that they for uh, that they and they apologize to the person, it is very uh, emotionally, uh, 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 it just, it just and, and does amazing things for emotional health because we've diminished the ego, we allow on nishama to shine, uh, nishama to shine through. In much the same way when you and accept an apology from somebody, anger is the illusion of control, the aid the horror, the ego peddles the, the idea that by holding on to anger, we're powerful, we're in control. But when we simply let go, it is so amazingly freeing. And at this time of year in particular, we get so much more bang for a spiritual buck and we move into Yom Kippur with a clean, emotional, and spiritual sleep. Uh,
1: you mentioned about uh, how other people see us, uh, and from what I read in the book and you know, in psychology, I guess, uh, is, isn't it true that we spend most of our time, even subconsciously or unconsciously, doing things uh, out, of, out of thinking of how people look at us? And I don't mean that... The, thinking about doing the right thing so people look at us the right way. You know, like in yeah. Judaism, we, I, I'm just saying we aren't as concerned about ourselves sometimes. We're just concerned of how others see us, and we don't um, look at it as, as what is this doing to ourselves in our actions.
7: You're hitting the nail on the head, and that goes to the core of emotional health, and I can't tell you how many people I speak with seemingly successful, well-to-do, put together uh, people that are consumed with their image. Now, everyone wants to come across as pleasant, professional. No one, you know, we all sort of manage our perception to some extent. But when we begin to contort who we are and move away from what we know to be right, merely to win the praise or accolades of approval of someone else, in the end, we end up liking ourselves less because we sold ourselves out for this person's approval. We don't like us, and they don't like us. Moreover, that makes our emotional health dependent on how other people see me that de facto is going to make me very, very unhealthy because I don't have a core of self-esteem. My self-esteem exists solely based on how you see me, which is going to make me very, very uh, moody. It's going to make me unhealthy. And ultimately, it's going to drive me towards self-destructive behaviors because the more I go with the ego, the less I like myself. But then I want to indulge in immediate gratification to try to lift my mood But, of course, as we know, we only spiral further away from emotional health.
1: It's interesting. Um, I I don't know if there is this out there. I'm sure there is. But uh, if you take a look at the mitzvot, I wonder how many uh, mitzvot there are that uh, could be said that are, that are private mitzvahs versus public mitzvahs. I mean, we know we have certain mitzvahs that we have to make public, a kanika, Uh, but that's, you know, the rabbana, the, the rabbinical afterwards, but from the Torah, the core mitzvahs, how many are, we do that are totally between us and Hashem, God, which we know, and others that are, that others will see us doing it, uh, and how that comes into play here also, because it's quite interesting to think that there are so many mitzvahs that are just, we do it, that's it. You know, nobody else might see us do that mitzvah. That's uh, right, and that's, yeah. No, please, no, they, you, yeah.
7: yeah, no, that, that goes to the core of, uh, of what the distinction is between embarrassment and shame. You know, when a person does something wrong that they know to be wrong, it doesn't matter who's around. That's a feeling of shame because it comes from the soul. But embarrassment is a function of the ego. I can do something, but as long as no one finds out about it, it doesn't embarrass me. And that's why embarrassment is fleeting and why the rabbis tell us in 120... Will stand before Hashem and feel uh, shame for our actions because we won't have an ego. The shame is what really ingrains itself into the soul. Embarrassment is fleeting. And very often, a lot of our choices, you know, as you know, Mazas, come down to either that fleeting feeling of embarrassment or that long time feeling of shame. And you're much better off going to that little bit of embarrassment if you know you're doing what's right rather than walk around with that heavy weight of shame.
1: So, conceptually, uh, embarrassment is external; shame is internal.
7: That's right. That's right. Embarrassment is a function of the ego, how I'm perceived, which is why I can do something, and if no one finds out about it, um, that yeah, and it's, it's sort of an ego ego oriented uh, action, it doesn't bother me. But if I do something that I know inherently to be wrong, irrespective of who finds out, regardless of who knows, it's going to gnaw away at my self respect.
1: Great. Uh, my guest this morning is uh, Dr. David Lieberman. He's the author of many books and a prof- uh, a, uh, a, a tremendous lecture, uh, prolific lecture. And uh, the book we're talking about is How Free Will Works, The Blueprints to Take Charge of Your Life, Health, and Happiness. It's available in the Jewish bookstores and on Amazon, all those places. So I would definitely suggest you go out and get it and uh, read as much as you can of it before Yontif. Uh, maybe it's something that you can uh, uh, bring to shul, and in the times that uh, you might not be uh, following everything that's uh, going on, there you can read through certain things to prepare you for the times when we're asking for forgiveness. And we're talking about how free will ties into this uh, to this whole concept of asking for forgiveness. Uh, so l- let me ask you this one: it's a it's a simple question that nobody's ever asked uh, in, in the entire gamut <laughs> of our Jewish history. How do we look at free will with the concept that hashem knows everything what uh, is uh uh you know how does that tie in to uh to you know how does that tie into everything here how can that be those two concepts be put together
7: great and and you're right it it, it is a fundamental question and I spend a number of chapters on on this in the book so to distill it down i suppose into a soundbite would be that <laughs> You know, what physicists show us, which is also what the rabbis told us a long time ago, is time certainly exists, but time doesn't flow. Rather, we flow through time. And not to get too technical, but anyone familiar with Einstein's theory of relativity Mm -hmm. understands that the past for one person may be the future for another and present for somebody else and so on. So basically, on this timeline, if you will, we move through life in a linear way. Hashem, God, is outside of time and space. So to us we are entering into the action and to God He has already observed the action. But now certainly there's a lot of questions that spring out from this in terms of using words like how can God know and future and past and present when we speak about it being at that time outside of time and space? And I sort of walk through the logic of that. but suffice it to say is free will is perfectly not a contradiction, nor is our ability to choose, in any way compromised or impinged upon, because God knows what we will do. In much the same way that if you were casually observing somebody uh, or discreetly observing somebody, you're not causing their behavior. Your observation doesn't change their choices. So, because God is outside, outside of time and space, his observation doesn't change our choices, and he simply knows what those choices are going to be.
1: You know, by the way, in in uh, in certain psychological circles, there would be, uh, and famous psychologists over the years, and physicists would, would uh, challenge that concept of what you just said, that by looking at something, it doesn't change it. You know, there's the observation of, uh, as I'm sure you know, there's a the whole concept, uh, of if you look at something, is in fact, but that's for a very different, different topic. Well, but you're, you're, but, raising,
7: you're raising another beautiful point, and I'm just going to see if I can find a page number for anyone with the book. I talk exactly about that point in terms of why it is, and you're talking about quantum physics right. and how the observation collapses the the, uh, the wave. Correct. And I actually spend some time in this and break it down very, very... I like to think clearly as I can. And that's that because God is outside of time and space, he doesn't interfere. Because what's required to bring a, a supposition of two realities and manifest it into one reality is perspective. Because the observer... You're exactly right. is The observer is the... Uh, The observer is the one that sort of collapses that wave into a specific reality. Since Hashem, since God is outside of time and space, his perspective is all-encompassing. So in that respect, it doesn't interfere with us. Right. So we actually are able to choose because we have perspective.
1: It is the uh, age-old question of if a tree falls in a forest and uh, nobody's around, does it make a noise? The problem is that's not the right question. Knowing the science of it, the question is if a tree falls in a forest, does it send the sound waves through the air? And of course it does. Uh, The question is whether there's somebody to have that reality of hearing it, in the area. So the noise, if you will, is there because the sound waves are there. Just a question of who's there to look at it. I have a much simpler answer, by the way. It doesn't matter to me because I believe in, I believe in Hashem and I believe in the Torah and it's a conceptual idea that is beyond our normal and rational thinking to a great extent. So I'm perfectly content to say, Someday we'll figure it out, you know, and we'll be told how it happens. It doesn't. Sure it's enough. not a blockade, and I don't think it should be a blockade to anybody if they can't rationally figure it out. Just because we don't have an exact science answer, which by definition is not what Hashem is.
7: That's right, and it, it, it you know points to sort of a, a arrogant model of a person that insists on understanding the insights of an infinite being in I, order to do what he says, which, you know, it obviously is, is,
0: is a flawed thinking.
1: Right, exactly. And uh, when I was reading the book uh, over the last week and a half or so, I thought of a, a type of analogy with what you just said, with the action versus result that, let's say, Hashem sees. If, if somebody is uh, powering a um, uh, computer-controlled car, let's say, and, uh, and that car... Uh, reacts to certain things on the road, uh, but for whatever reason, um, it gets into an accident with another car. Now, you could see the result of the accident and know that the accident is there, or you can know how that car would react in all the different situations because you programmed it and know ahead of time how it's going to react when that other car comes into contact. And I thought of it as similar here with the free will concept. We can think about how we do things ahead of time and the result will come based on that or we can just kind of let things go and see what the result will happen and think afterwards, oh, I could have done this, I could have done that. And it's two different sides of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, um, You also mentioned about the uh, in the book about giving and and taking. It certainly is a better, uh, would you agree, a better... um, personality, if you will, to be a giving personality than a taking personality.
7: Well, Yes, but that comes with an asterisk, and that is that if, you know, giving is my ability to choose to give to you um, because I want to. You know, there are some people that give not because they want to do what's right, but to assuage feelings of guilt or inadequacy, but they can't say no. You know, so the difference between giving a donation and being robbed, in both cases, $20 is going out of your pocket. Right. But if I choose to give you the money, I feel good as a result. I did an active test. If you rob me, you've got the twenty dollars, but I feel powerless. So we should, you know, qualify that by saying that when you choose to do an active test that you choose to give. We want to be clear that you know this person, and I talk a lot about boundaries in here because boundaries go to the core of our relationships, go to the core of our mental health. And a person with porous boundaries, or as people, or people in their lives who don't respect their boundaries, have a very hard time maintaining a good. Uh, sense of self-respect if they're constantly on the defense, constantly giving in, constantly feeling, you know, Uh So it's very important to be able to understand and to to draw proper boundaries um, to identify our personal space and know that when we want to be a giver, we do so willingly, and that infuses us with a sense of uh, self-esteem rather than allow ourselves to be taken advantage of and to be robbed.
1: Right. Uh, I, I want to get into the point that we talked earlier uh, about Yom Kippur and asking for forgiveness and how that all ties in, uh, but I want to ask you, uh, as the beginning to that. You may have a controversial statement in here uh, in your book in the beginning that basically you say that, um, that our tendency to, I'm quoting pretty much, our tendency to avoid pain inherent in taking responsibility for our lives is the primary basis of all mental illnesses, and to nearly every emotional issue, including anxiety, depression, addiction. I assume you're talking about those type of mental illnesses of the anxiety, depression, addiction, as opposed to some more, let's say, hardwired mental illnesses.
7: Excellent. And and, uh, first off, I gave myself a little bit of cover and included footnotes. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so... And, uh, you know, there's some solid research to back that up. And later on in the book, I make a qualification, which probably should have been uh, come at this point, quite frankly, earlier, because you're right. You know, there are certain mental illnesses that are beyond the scope of our ability, capacity, and to label that person as selfish or lazy uh, is, is not only reckless but completely wrong. Um, but what the research does show is that Whenever we avoid responsibility, and you know, not between the this from our own life. Whenever we ignore an aspect of our lives and move away from what we know is right and sort of cover our eyes like a small child pretending we don't see, it simply chips away at our self-respect. But when a person is able to face their obligations, live up to their responsibilities, and be honest about that, that really is what gives us mental health. And just to walk you through the very basic model, and that is that... emotional health is synonymous with perspective and that is my ability to see, accept and respond to my world a person who has a narrow perspective doesn't want to see reality. If they see, they don't want to accept. If they accept, they don't want to respond. Right. So the degree to which we're able to see clearly, accept responsibility, and move forward, that's the healthiest person. So even if we, quote unquote, can't do something or can't bring ourselves to do something, acknowledging it's a responsible thing to do is much healthier than simply ignoring it or blaming someone else. Saying that I don't have
1: to do it, right? Exactly, and I mentioned that because now when we get into this this last topic of uh, of asking for forgiveness and looking at ourselves on Yom Kippur, for instance, uh, it's not enough to simply say, "Okay, I did something." Um, please forgive me, I'm going to try to change it, and I did it because I was depressed, for instance, You know, or I was addicted to something, for instance, and therefore I did X, Y, and Z, because that's only the middle component. You have to figure out why it is that you did what you're doing to get to that point. So how would somebody sit on Yom Kippur and ask for forgiveness if they're not really aware of why they did what they did Or of um, what brought them to that level to do something. It's simply, simply, it's easy to say, okay, I didn't observe this mitzvah, or I did one of these negative uh, commandments, meaning I, you know, I stole or whatever it is. It's easy to say and easy to give the lip service of, please forgive me, I'll try to change. But how does somebody really sit there on Yom Kippur? What can they think about to make themselves aware of their actions? So that it brings them to a level that they can understand how they can change.
7: Beautiful question. So first is that intellectual awareness that we did something that was wrong, rather than lay blame at somebody else, the circumstance, the conditions, and really own our behavior uh, and accept it. And ultimately, you know, that's what responsibility is: is to accept responsibility for our actions. You know, it's. So easy to blame the rest of the world, the stresses, the anxieties, and, you know, my my neighbor, my spouse, this, and where we're almost sort of convincing ourselves and anyone will listen that we're funneled into one, you know, inevitable direction that just forces our self-destructive behaviors and we have no choice. You know, I talk about habits. I talk about addictions in the book as well. And the beginning of moving forward and making change is the acknowledgement that we need to do something else and to take responsibility. And even if I don't know, as you say, what caused my behavior, what caused my lapse of judgment, I the res- taking responsibility means I'm going to search out and seek whatever means and mechanism and get whatever help I need in order to help me to move forward in a responsible way. So if I need to see a therapist, if so I need to see a route if I need to you know read a couple of good self-help books, if I need to make an action plan, if I need to hold myself accountable, whatever it is. I'm going to go ahead and put a plan into action that shows God that I'm serious and I'm taking responsibility. And you know, the, the process of tshuva is, is so astounding, because we know the, the rabbis tell us that when we do tshuva properly, an ederah, a sin, is transformed into a mitzvah. And that's not simply a sort of a, a nice way of putting it, so that we feel better. Rather, is that when we rise above our nature, when we take responsibility, which is the hardest thing for the ego to do. Hashem rises above nature for us, and he undoes and transforms the vera into a mitzvah, and it becomes a mechanism for us to move forward. But a person really has to get real about the damage it's been causing him. Only human beings are endowed with this ability to look into the future and to really visualize and use our imagination in a powerful way. And the rabbis are replete with examples, as does the current research show. That the ability to really get real and visualize the damage that our behavior has caused and what it's going to look like if we continue down this path and what it would look like if we made an adjustment. And the ability to change really comes with that first intellectual awareness of, I want to be better, I want to be different. And then we sort of galvanize all of our energy, strength, talent, whatever means and mechanism in order to move ourselves in a more meaningful, powerful
1: direction. That's an amazing concept to think of. And, you know, it puts a lot of everything else in the Torah into a uh, into that uh, area also, because we look at now things in the Torah, let's say the stories, if you will. They're not just stories. Obviously, they mean to teach us something. But they, they show us how a person can change and what the end result can be, both good and bad. And it kind of complements uh, the actions that we are supposed to do to lead us there. Otherwise, you know, the Hashem could have given us simply a rule book, uh, and, and and that's it. But but it's not. It's, it's all-encompassing.
7: That's right. And Tshuva is, while the spiritual component is very powerful about uh, you know, undoing the spiritual damage, emotionally speaking, we need to be able to sort of wipe that slate clean and not walk around. There are people that walk around today engaging in self-destructive behaviors because they're mired in guilt. They wrap themselves up in feelings of self-pity. But they're holding themselves to a higher standard than Hashem is. Because Hashem doesn't want us to sit around and feel guilty, feel bad for ourselves and not move forward. He wants us to take that feeling of guilt and transform it into chulva, and then into action. We're going to fall down, we're going to get back up. As we know, a father falls seven down that falls down seven times, gets up seven times. Right. Now it's the fact that he falls and gets back up, that is what makes us great. So falling down isn't the problem. And wrapping ourselves up in this Drug that we call guilt or self pity doesn't move us forward. Whatever we've done, Hashem wants us to live. He wants us to be normal. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to get pleasure out of life. Do tshuva and move forward.
1: Uh, you say, uh, we'll, we'll finish up with with this. You said something about the world to come in your book. You described how uh, the soul potential, let's say, is a uh, out of one to ten. Uh, let's say somebody's potential is a seven. And the question is, in the, in the world to come, a person will be looked on as, did they reach that potential of a 7? Uh, and if they're at a 4 or a 5, then they will be, um, the difference between the, five and the, or the 4 and the 7, let's say, 3 degrees away from Hashem. But if their potential was, let's say, even a 4, for whatever reason, and they achieved a 3, then they're only one level away from Hashem. Because it's not, like you said, it's not that we're going to be able to do everything. It's how much can you achieve with your potential. And that can probably be looked at here also. We can look at ourselves in everyday life and say, okay, we may not be able to do perfection, but how close can we get to that perfection?
7: That's right, and our perfection. And the research shows this, which is fascinating, and that's that you know, money, uh, uh, life experience, intelligence, a lot of these things that we think have a bearing on a self-fulfillment don't really openly the quality of our lives comes down to the quality of our choices and if a person accepts responsibility for the quality of their life nothing can stop them if they don't accept responsibility nothing will ever move them which is why you know when we talk about apologizing and forgiveness we think about people that are walking around today we know these people with such pain If they were, and they would be able to release themselves of the pain if they could pick up the phone and say two words i'm sorry or you know i forgive you or three right. words there And it's just amazingly freeing but how stubborn we are and how much we damage ourselves emotionally, physically with self-destructive behaviors because we're holding on to this anger and angst. And I thoroughly encourage everyone listening just to think about those people that you have a fractional relationship with. Pick up the phone, send a text, do whatever it takes, and just make it okay. Selfishly speaking, you will benefit from that.
1: Brain. excellent words for this time of year there's plenty of time to do it before you kipper <laughs> to make those calls to do that introspection and to get the book How Free Will Works again it's a uh, it's distributed by Feldheim uh, available in all bookstores all different outlets uh, I want to thank as I always do a Stuart Schnee a, a PR person from Israel who has uh, let me know about a lot of different authors and uh, you are one of them so I want to thank him for uh, for that information, Dr. David Lieberman, again, I want to thank you for joining us. I wish we had more time. We definitely have to have you on again uh, to talk about uh, this and some of the other topics uh, about which you've written and about which you speak. Uh, and I look forward to that and hope you will do us the honor of joining us again in the future.
7: I welcome the opportunity. Thanks so much. And you really, it, it, uh, it was a very enjoyable interview. Clearly, you read the book. You know it well and I appreciate it. That, that always shines through, and uh, you have a you have a terrific
1: show. Thank you so much, and I want to wish you and your family a chasiva, uh, v'khasim an easy fast, a good Yom Tov. People should always remember that uh, Yom Kippur is a Yom Tov. It's a uh, it's a I don't know if happy is the right word, but it certainly is not a a sad day. It's a it's a day of introspection, but it's a happy day, right? That's With, right. Isn't that something we should think about? uh You know, conceptually, psychologically, it, it's a happy time. It's a Yom Tov. It's a good day. That's right, and
7: it's a day filled with opportunity.
1: Absolutely. Thank you again, and we look forward to speaking with you very soon. Be well,
7: Mathis. Thank you.
1: Take care. Uh, that was Dr. David Lieberman here on JM Sunday. Uh, my thanks to him for joining us, and uh, we look forward to him coming back here, uh, I hope, uh, soon. We have a couple more minutes before we end the show. We're going to hear from some uh, Avram David with uh, Yalom here on JM Sunday on the Nahum Siegel Network.
2: No, no, لو
6: I am the maja, the maja, the maja, the maja, the maja, the maja, the maja,
1: from Shlomo Katz, Barosh Hashanah from uh, Yismach Melech here on JM Sunday. My thanks to Dr. David Lieberman who joined me this morning to discuss How Free Will Works. That's the name of his new book. Uh, I suggest everybody go out and get it before the uh, Yom Kippur holiday. Read it It little it will definitely enhance the, um, the experience, I believe, of uh, what Yom Kippur is about in terms of uh, asking for tshuva, etc., and introspection. We're going to get ready to finish up this morning. My thanks again, everybody, for joining us, and uh, wish everybody a a good uh, Yom Tov, an easy fast. And uh, we'll be back, God willing, next week here on JM Sunday and continue uh, for quite a long time. We won't have a Sunday to miss for a while. So uh, we look forward to having you all join us. Again, when you get a chance, like us on our Facebook page, JM Sunday. Go ahead and like the Israel Show page also the Mayor, Mayor Weingarten has. He does the show on Monday mornings immediately after JM and the AM exclusively on the stream at 9 a.m. Nachum will be back in uh, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And another abbreviated week for Nachum. Uh, it'll be an abbreviated week for the next few weeks with the uh, Yom Kippur and Sukkot and Shemini Yetzirah and Simchostorah coming up. Great programming continues all day long on the stream here on JM excuse me here on uh, the Nachum Siegel Network we are JM Sunday part of that network. Thanks again everyone looking forward to seeing you next week right here on JM Sunday.